Hello and welcome to this edition of Wineskins. I'm Father Jim Corda. Wineskins is a program that features reflections on the lives of the saints and the sacred scriptures, along with a variety of issues and topics, all from a Catholic perspective. Wineskins is brought to you through the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts, a division of the Society of St. Paul. On our program today, I will interview Joe Torma. We will also hear more information on St. Peter Canisius. And today, as the Church celebrates the third Sunday of Advent, we will get a deeper insight into those particular Sunday readings. That and more on Wineskins. Joining me again is Jill Valentic, who is the Executive Director of Catholic Charities at Ashtabula County. Welcome back to our show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here today. And every time you come, we learn more about your agency, the wonderful work that's going on, the important work of the church through people like you. As we're coming up on the hills of Christmas, we want to remind the folks that are with us how important the spirit and season of giving is, especially when we're talking about Catholic charities. Why is that so important? You know, the first thing I always think about is how everyone we meet every day who really wants to learn about Catholic charities, they want to learn how they can give back. And usually it's because they want to make sure that they're making an impact, but maybe not being at our agency. But how can I help? How can we help? How can our school help? How can our organization help? And we get this question all the time. And I always tell them, call me and let's discuss what you're hoping to focus on. And a lot of times they're, they're saying, I just want to be able to fill in the gaps. And it could be through our Christmas program, which is our Halo Christmas program that we do every year. We have a dinner dance. We collect toys. People adopt families. And I share that with them. They're like, oh, yeah, that's perfect. That's what I want to do. And then there's others that say, I really want to be able to, like, collect items or bring in coats. And we then say, well, let's talk more about that. Let's see, how does this look for you? And then we end up putting together a plan. And what's really neat is to see how excited our friends to the agency just want to make an impact. And when we share with them what we think the needs are of the community, they're shocked that we're not asking them for big things. It could be travel size shampoos or a book bag that's Mm -hmm. gently used. Or it could be as simple as, you know, if you have some canned food that's got a pull top on it and you don't need it anymore, Mm -hmm. we'll take that. You know, it's interesting as you were talking, one thing that comes to mind is that we always think that people, when we ask them to give, have to be heroic in that giving. Some people can give something, as you had mentioned, something so simple, and yet that's an investment that they have that they give. Why is it important for us to have the spirit of giving, not just during the holidays, but every day? Well, first of all, it's a reminder to our clients, the people we serve, that people do care. Mm -hmm. For example, St. John's School up in Asheville, Ohio, they actually pulled together a bunch of cards, Mm -hmm. and they wrote out cards just to say, hey, we care about you, we hope you're doing well, so we can give it out to the individuals that are in the nursing homes Mm -hmm. that we serve through our guardianship program. What a gift. And that person that receives that card just looks at it and has it up on their bulletin board. And somebody made that card for them. Mm -hmm. And, And someone was thinking of them and praying for them. You know, it's interesting because when I've visited nursing homes and that actually has happened, people who 
have no family anymore mm -hmm. and they get this card from somebody they don't even know, it's almost like they're opening up uh, a whole story that reminds them of maybe in the past or reminds them that someone is thinking of them. And how important, you know, that is, especially during those seasons where people could tend to be sad or they remember the loss of loved ones. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important during those times to lift people up. We know that in Astabula, there's lots going on at the Catholic Charities Agency. As you look towards next year, but also as you look in the past, what can you be thankful for in the past and what do you look forward to in the future? You know, always thankful for those <clears throat> that reach out to us and say, how can we make an impact? <clears throat> I'm always grateful for those groups that are like, there's a student here that wants to do a project and wants to make an impact. Always excited and thankful for those projects because they're the projects that the person never thought right. would become so big. Mm -hmm. And then for the future, it's who's going to be the next inspired? You know, who's the next leader of change? Mm -hmm. Who's the next person that says, you know, how can we make a difference? Mm -hmm. What can we do? And I guess you could say they're both the same. But it's always interesting to see there's always someone different. It's not the same people. It's always just different organizations, different people who are inspired through the needs of our community. And I'm happy to help them through that thought process, through making an impact of maybe the end result, you know, trying to share what the outcomes are, sharing how we helped people. You know, we think about like the blanket Sunday that we have every year. So many blankets come in and then I see a, one of those blankets that were donated from a church in the hands of someone who needed that mm -hmm. blanket. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we all have lots of blankets. And that example is where someone goes, I never even thought about that. Mm -hmm. You know, I have mm -hmm. so many blankets I don't use. And in the meantime, their one blanket then <clears throat> is in the hands of someone who needed sure. one. Mm -hmm. You know, little things that we don't think about. Right. Well, Jill Valentic, it's always a pleasure to have you on our show today, Executive Director of Catholic Charities up in Ashtabula County. Especially during this season of giving, we encourage the folks that are with us to be mindful of that, especially in light of Catholic Charities. And if they want more information, they can certainly go to ccdoy.org. Thank you. Thank you. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jim Corda. St. Peter Canisius was a second apostle of Germany and a doctor of the church. To tell us more is Brother Dominic Calabro. He is from the Society of St. Paul in Canfield. This Jesuit saint died in Switzerland in 1597, was canonized and declared a doctor of the church in 1925. It was inscribed in the Roman calendar in 1926. Pope Leo XIII called him the second apostle of Germany after St. Boniface. Born in Holland, Peter was educated at Cologne and at the Louvain. At the age of 23, he entered the Society of Jesus and published treatises on the Fathers of the Church. Ordained to the priesthood in 1546, he became the theologian to the Cardinal of Augsburg at the Council of Trent. Called to Rome by Ignatius Loyola, he was sent to Messina, Sicily to teach rhetoric. He made his solemn religious profession at Rome in 1549. St. Peter Canisius then returned to Germany and spent the next 30 years there working for the renewal of the Catholic life. He held several important posts and eventually became Jesuit provincial that included Germany, Austria, and Bohemia. He also founded numerous Jesuit colleges that became decisive factors in the Catholic reform. 
He died peacefully in 1597. The slightly modified opening prayer of the Mass presents St. Peter Canisius as a defender of the faith. Versed as he was in the theology of the Fathers of the Church and in sacred scriptures, he was the most suitable person to defend and expound the teaching of the Church. The petition in the prayer is ecumenical. We pray for all who seek the truth. The Office of Readings describes the mystical experience that St. Peter had in Rome before leaving for Germany. It was as if you opened to me the heart in your most sacred body. I seemed to see it directly before my eyes. You told me to drink from this fountain, inviting me, that is, to draw the waters of my salvation from your wellsprings, my Savior. I was most eager that streams of faith, hope, and love should flow into me from that source. I was thirsting for poverty, chastity, and obedience. I asked to be made holy, clean by you, to be clothed by you, to be made resplendent by you. As to the relevance of St. Peter Canisius, we first note the apparition of the Sacred Heart because that devotion became widespread in the 17th century and was later called an obligatory devotion by Pope Pius XII. Secondly, given the contemporary interest in the ecumenical movement, St. Peter Canisius is an excellent example of how to dialogue with persons outside the Roman Catholic Church. The opening prayer says, Lord, you gave St. Peter Canisius wisdom and courage to defend the Catholic faith. By the help of his prayers, may all who seek the truth rejoice in finding you, and may all who believe in you be loyal in professing their faith. For Wineskins, I'm Brother Dominic Calabro. With me is Dr. Joe Torma, who is a former professor of theology at Walsh University. Welcome to our show. Thank you. You know, Dr. Torma, you're, you're here primarily for the First Friday Club, right. but we're here to talk about your, your topic for that. And I'm just amazed at the depth, I think, of the discussion that we're going to have because it's so timely in, in the church today, a domestic church becoming renewed Catholics. Yes. Before we talk about what it means to be a renewed Catholic and how you do that, define domestic church for us. Well, domestic church, it comes from the Latin domus, which means a home. And it means the church of the home. And what people, it isn't that they forget it, they may have never known, that in the first centuries, that's where the church gathered. And it gathered in families and extended families, in groups. And so the domestic church is the basic size, as it were, of the church. But we've lost that. We put our church would say, well, we really can't have a church until we have a hundred or two hundred or whatever. And so then we neglect building the building blocks of the parish church. Mm -hmm. And so when Vatican II came back and helped us realize that what we had done through the years was redefine the church in such a way. This is going to sound strange. Mm -hmm. We redefined it in such a way that 99% of the people were what I would call crinos. Christian in name only. Mm -hmm. Why do I mean that? Because in the beginning, the church was to be this community that reached out to the society to try to change it. Mm -hmm. What happened in 315 is the church, from rather than being persecuted by the secular society that it wanted to change, it got absorbed into the society. So Constantine made the church part of the state. And so what happened is 
people who wanted to continue to be this alternate society, this cooperative society instead of part of empire, had to leave the normal society, and that's when you had the beginnings of religious orders, which moved on right on to this time. What that meant was the majority of people, 99%, never had to make the kind of commitment to Christianity and to Jesus that was made in the first 300 years. As you were talking, what comes to my mind is that it almost boiled the church down to just an institution with hierarchical structure and not go back to its fundamental roots and its microcosm, which is us as family. You just hit the word. That word is central to my theology. Some people say, well, Joe, family, you know, the church is the church and the family is a family. And I said, no, the church is a family. And they go, well, why do you say that? I said, well, why don't you, we just chat about this a moment. And they say, okay. I say, have you said the Lord's Prayer? I say, well, of course, we say it all the time. And that's the basic prayer in which Jesus reveals the nature of God. So what does he call God? Oh, Father. Oh, well, when we're living with a father, then what are we? brothers and sisters. What do you call that structure? Family. Mm -hmm. So that's the key word to me if we're talking about the structure of the church. The problem is at the level of which we organize church now, we're not a family. We have to organize as a family first, and then the church becomes a family of families. It's almost like putting the cart first before the horse, you know, we really need to reverse that order. How does that then play into this becoming a renewed Catholic, because I think as we look at our time and space right here, especially on the heels of the pandemic, which really disrupted a lot of what we do as church and as family, how does that help us to become renewed as Catholics? Well, once we have the insight that came from Vatican II, which was the first time in 1,650 years where the church, the official church, said that all the baptized, regardless of state or condition. And I know, because I was in the MSC for eight years, my brother's name, that in the religious orders, that's where you're trained to be in the fullness of the Christian life. The problem is, who's supposed to be fully Christian? All 100%, not the 1% who are vowed. So if you're going to renew the church, you have to renew its structure and begin at the basic level which is at the level of family. We don't have any help, any assistance, any training to be church as family or as a group that is at a lower level than. And so that's my concern. And somebody will say to me, well, I've never heard any of that. Can that ever be accomplished? And I said, yes, in about 300 years. Mm-hmm. And they look at me and they say, no, I said, no, I'm serious. Mm-hmm. If we start now, Why do I say that? I say because there's a general understanding that if you're in a habit and you want to change it, it'll take you 10 to 20% of the time you spent in that previous habit. So if we've been structured as 1% being the fullness of the Christian life and all the rest simply assisting them, it's going to take us 10 to 20% of 1,650 years. But, and this is why I'm hopeful, we know what that should look like. Why? Because we know what our family should look like. Not that they're ever necessarily doing that, but they know we know what it's supposed to look like. And if we know what it's supposed to look like, then we know what the church is supposed to look like with its particular mission. 
what I'd like to throw out, and this is extremely complex, if our families are, many of them are dysfunctional, right. how does that play into making this perfect church, which yep. is renewed? Does that make sense? Oh, it makes absolute sense. And I think if we recover the word family from nuclear family mm -hmm. and move it back to where it was always been in the beginning, which is the, what they call extended family. In my talk today, I, I have slides, of course, and one of the slides shows domestic church and it shows a family, but it's clearly a family that's extended. Mm -hmm. And once we have that understanding that we are not just family in our nuclear family, we are to supposed to be family regardless of the nuclear family, and that's what the religious orders taught. When I was in the Missionaries of Sacred Heart, there were a relatively small group, but we were from everywhere. So family is not so much birth as commitment. In a nutshell, isn't that what Catholic means? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, Dr. Joe Torma, former professor of theology and also peace and justice at Walsh University, thank you for your insight. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that next time okay. we gather with you, but we appreciate you lifting that up because it's important for us to understand who we are as church, as the body of Christ, as a family. God is our Father, and we are brothers and sisters. So thank you. For more pertinent information and to listen to Wineskins, visit www.catholicecho.org. Stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. Did you know that the Catholic Echo magazine is delivered 10 times per year to 52,000 Catholic households in Northeastern Ohio? That's more than 150,000 people. In the Catholic Echo website, catholicecho.org, has been averaging 30,000 views per month since it launched in February 2023. Advertise your business, special event, or service with the Catholic Echo in print or online. Email catholicecho at youngstowndiocese.org. Advertising discounts are available for Catholic institutions as well as for businesses that commit to five or ten issues in a year. Email catholicecho at youngstowndiocese.org or visit the Advertising tab at catholicecho.org for more information. Wondering what happened to timely Catholic news in the Diocese of Youngstown? It's at catholicecho.org. Sign up for the email newsletter while you're there to have Catholic news delivered to your inbox. Our song today is from the CD called A Cradle in Bethlehem, Our Savior is Born. It is by the Kellenberg Memorial High School Choir. to go. 
As we celebrate this third Sunday of Advent, we will hear more about the sacred scriptures by Father Jay Clark. He is Pastor Emeritus of St. Paul Church in North Canton. Biblical stories about John the Baptizer indicate that he was a preacher who preached not in a temple or in a synagogue, but in the desert region around the River Jordan. The Bible writers also tell us that John was dressed in camel skins and existed primarily on a diet of locusts and wild honey. If John the Baptizer appeared in our time and place, where do you think he would go to preach? What do you think he would look like nowadays? What do you think he would say to our modern world? Here's the one way an author creatively answered those questions with this story. Oh, he created quite a commotion among the shoppers at the mall. Many dismissed him as an annoying nut. Some found him an eccentric hoot. After all, he was dressed in a tattered flannel shirt and jeans. No one knew where he spent the night, but he was often seen rummaging around the dumpsters for scraps of food behind the restaurants. Every day, he could be found talking or at least trying to talk to anyone who would happen by. Alongside the beautiful lighted fountain near the mall's food court, he was there with his ragged appearance and that slightly off look in his eyes. In spite of that off look, there was a kindness and sincerity that still attracted people to him. So he would ask passerbys, why are you spending so much money for Christmas? Why are you allowing yourself to become so obsessed and stressed over this tinseled holiday? He would tease as we ate our lattes, oh, we really like our Christmas with a lot of sugar, don't we? He would say things like, Christmas is about hope and love, so give gifts of kindness and compassion to each other. To a few others, he would say, Seek forgiveness and reconciliation from your family and from friends who may be lost to you. And to still others, he would say, let the spirit of Christ child embrace every season of the year, not just December. Those who listened would nod in agreement as the man spoke, even as they tightened their grips on their shopping bags. Some were actually moved to quit shopping and go home to be with their families. Others would go off and buy an extra toy or an article of clothing for charity. A few would even be moved to escape to a church or a chapel for quiet prayer. Sometimes when the mall Santa would walk by, he would make fun of him, asking the embarrassed Santa pointed questions about the real Christmas story. Soon, however, the store owners had enough of his distractions. The mall managers had security escort him from the promises and told him just stay away. He wasn't really hurting anyone, they realized, but he had to go, they said. He was ruining everyone's Christmas. So maybe if John the Baptizer appeared in our time and place, maybe to the mall is where he would go. Maybe he'd be dressed in a tattered flannel shirt and jeans. Maybe what I just quoted him saying is exactly what he would say to our modern world. Every December during Advent, the Advent prophet John the Baptizer proclaims, Mate straight the way for the Lord. Make ready his coming. So once again this week, John the Baptizer calls you to realize God's constant presence among you and within you, a presence that you are often too busy or too overwhelmed to remember and realize. It's part of normal conversations around this time of the year to ask, are you ready for Christmas? Wouldn't you be surprised if you asked someone that question and you heard in reply, I'm still getting ready for Christmas, but I need to do a few more things to make myself more spiritually ready. The media is working overtime to tell you how to get ready for Christmas. Resolve today to listen to John the Baptist, the authentic herald of God, sent to tell you to prepare for his coming. Repent and prepare the way of the Lord. Advent doesn't come with the spiritual snooze alarm. 
Now is the time to just make Advent happen spiritually. Find ways to do that that are right for you and your family. For Wineskins, this is Father Jay Clark. Who are we? We are people doing a job that God has given us to do. We are more than we can ever know. Let that truth soak deep into our hearts and then go out and try to live up to it. Wineskins is a production of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Youngstown. It is brought to you by the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts. I'm your host, Father Jim Corda, wishing you a beautiful week. What have you done for your marriage today? I gave my wife a hug this morning. I thought uh, I love her. I uh, did her hair this morning. I think it looks pretty good. <laughs> I cooked my husband's uh, favorite breakfast. I bought her an orchid. What have I done for my marriage today? I sent my husband a love email. I read the newspaper to my wife, and it cracked her up. She's, but she's still laughing. <laughs> what have you done for your marriage today? Make a change for the better. Need help? Go to foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Church. They say America is the land of opportunity. But for some, life isn't so easy. Right now in America, one in six children lives below the poverty line. That's nearly 13 million children of all races all across our country. Where do you draw the line and get involved? You can make a difference in more ways than you think. Go to PovertyUSA.org today because one in six children in poverty is one too many. A message from the Catholic Campaign for Human Development.